Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. I'm going to uh, quickly, quickly recap what we talked about last week because I don't feel like we have a ton of time and we've got quite a bit of scripture to get through tonight. So we are talking about parables of the kingdom. So two weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the seed and the sower. Last week, we talked about the parable of the seed. So not the parable of the seed and the sower, the actual the parable of the seed. That's the parable where uh, Jesus says it's a man who casts seed upon the ground. He goes to bed. The seed somehow, some way, while he's in bed, it's sprouting and it's growing. And he doesn't really understand how it's growing. So that's the power, parable of the seed. We also talked about the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. So uh, in the parable of the seed, um, it's the it, it specifically mentions that the soil produces crops by itself. Uh, that word for soil, it can be a little misleading in the NASB because it uses the word soil. Uh, and we have, if you're reading it in Matthew or in Mark, I'm sorry, it comes right after the parable of the seed and the sower. So you have soil on your mind. But that word for soil is, is not actually a good translation. It should be earth. Uh, it's not the soil that produces the, the growth. It is the seed that has the power to produce growth. The soil helps. Soil is needed. We all know that a seed by itself can't produce anything. Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat... And that word for kernel actually means seed when Jesus says that. Unless a kernel of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it can't produce anything. So a seed has to go into the ground. But the soil doesn't produce anything. It's the seed that has the power to produce. And so uh, that word for soil actually means earth. The, the idea is that this seed has been sown into the earth. And underneath the earth where it can't be seen, something is happening. In the unseen and seemingly out of nowhere this growth begins to take place and Jesus says that's what the kingdom is like and then he goes on to say that the soil produces crops by itself first the stalk then the head then the mature grain in other words the kingdom doesn't go from nothing into a mature grain the kingdom first is a stalk then a head then a mature grain that word for stalk is actually grass so uh it's either talking about wheat or corn, likely wheat. So the, the end goal is a, is a plant or a, a, a crop that is two or three feet tall. And Jesus says the first sign of growth are these little shoots of grass that are like two or three inches tall. And he says that's actually the first sign of growth in the kingdom. We would look at that and say that doesn't look like much. But Jesus says that's growth in the kingdom. So that's what the first initial growth looks like. So first the stalk, or I'm sorry, yeah, first the stalk, then the head, then the mature grain. Uh, and then in Mark 4, 29, it says, Now when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest time has come. We talked about how the kingdom is always unto harvest. The kingdom is never unto me. It's never unto platform. It's never unto more giftings or more talents. It's always unto harvest because Jesus came for a harvest. And the kingdom is always unto what does the king want. Uh, I, I quoted a, a thing from Michael Koulianos last week. He said that the Holy Spirit told him one time that the kingdom without the king is just dumb. So the kingdom is always unto the king. 
And the king wants a harvest. He came for a harvest. The kingdom is always unto a harvest. If the seeds of the kingdom are not unto a harvest for the king, then it's not kingdom. It may be church, and it may be it may it will likely be religious, but it's not kingdom unless it's unto a harvest for the king. Okay. Then we talked about the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. These are two stories that Jesus links together to tell the exact same message. He is talking about the property of the kingdom that is explosive in growth and in nature, how it grows in nature. So in the parable of the mustard seed, it is a seed that is smaller than all the other seeds. In other words, uh, it is not the only seed, but it is a seed, and it is a seed that is smaller in comparison to all the other seeds. When it gets planted, it will grow, and when it grows, it's larger than all the other garden plants. Um, and we talked about this last week, but this type of plant in this area of the world, it's not the mustard seed plant that we see in our area of the world. Uh, in this area of the world, it would be planted in the, um, in the herb part of the garden. So it would be next to your basil and your rosemary and your thyme, and uh, those are the only ones I know. So whatever else, fill in the blank. I'm sure you guys know more than that. But the, those grow to like, those are like shrubs. And this would grow to like 25 or 30 feet tall. And so the picture in their mind is the, the kingdom is this mustard seed that grows into a tree. And the picture is it so dwarfs everything around it that it sticks out monumentally once it is grown. That's the picture of the kingdom. And then we talked about the leaven. I'm sorry I'm going so fast, but I want to get into tonight's. The leaven is the small bit of leaven that gets mixed into society. So it is a woman. In all three of these stories, it is a person. The parable of the seed, it is a man. The parable of the mustard seed, it is a man. And the parable of the leaven, it is a woman. It's not, it doesn't take a group of people in the kingdom. It's a person. In the parable of the leaven, it's a woman who takes a little bit of leaven and mixes it in. Uh, it's around, in our conversion, 144 cups of flour, which would require around a cup and a half of leaven. That's how much leaven it is. And Jesus says that a cup and a half of leaven in 144 cups of flour is enough to leaven the whole thing. And she hides it. That word for hide is conceals in. Not to conceal from, but to conceal into. She conceals it into the leaven until the whole thing is leavened. Okay? So that's what we talked about last week. I went really fast. You'll just have to go back and listen if you need more. Okay? So tonight I want to talk about the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. It's in Matthew 25. Context, Jesus has just given us the discourse of Matthew 24, where he has explained in great detail that he is leaving. He has explained previously to Matthew 24 in uh, types and in shadows and in figures that he's leaving. In Matthew 24, he lays it out. He says, I'm going, and I'm out of here. So Matthew 25 is... Um, Matthew 25 is an exhortation by Jesus of, of what he expects from us while he's gone. Does that make sense? Okay. Matthew 25 begins with the parable of the ten virgins. That's the five wise and the five foolish. Five foolish don't have extra oil in their lamps. The five wise do have extra oil in their lamps. We're not going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about the parable of the talents. Okay. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. For it is like a man, it is the kingdom of heaven. 
In verse 1, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to. So he's continuing that thought in verse 14. For it, the kingdom of heaven, is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Verse 15. Well, actually, let's stop there for a second. He entrusted his own possessions to them. So, Jesus, again, is about to leave, and he's telling this parable for the purpose of encouraging his disciples, who are very discouraged at this point, because he's just told them some very hard truths about him leaving, about what he expects while he's gone. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who's about to go on a journey. He calls his own slaves and entrusts his possessions to them. Two things out of verse 14. It is his own who he entrusts with his own stuff. It is his stuff that he entrusts to his own, okay? Verse 15, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability, and he went on his journey. The things he has entrusted us with are his. The gifts, the talents, the anointings, the callings, the fill in the blank, the kids, the spouse, the church, the family, the business, the whatever, the money, the stuff, the stuff he has entrusted us with is not mine. It is his. And it is his that he has entrusted me with because he sees that I have an ability to care for it. He doesn't give out things haphazardly. He only gives to people who he believes, who he knows has the ability to care for what he gives to them. Does that make sense? That word for ability is interesting. It's actually the word dunamis. It's the word power in the Greek. How many of you know what the word dunamis means? It's not just power. It's miraculous power. It's supernatural power. If I could say it this way. Jesus gives you things only to the degree that you have the ability to care for them. You only have the ability to care for them because he has supernaturally empowered you to care for the things that he has given you. Does that make sense? So, if Jesus has asked you to do something, you can be sure that you have the ability to do it. Why? Because he only gives to people who he knows has the ability to carry out what he wants to entrust them with. Because he knows that it is supernatural, that it is through supernatural empowerment that he gives you the ability to care for the things that he wants to give you. It's not a uh, natural ability. It's not an ability where I train myself up and I get really good. It's a supernatural ability where he empowers us. In uh, 2 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about this. He says that our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but it's of God, who has made us ministers of the gospel, of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. That word for made us, it means to equip with the power necessary. In other words, the things that he wants to give to me, the things that he wants to give to me often feel like they're too big for me. But the reason I know that they're not too big for me is because he wants to entrust them to me. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? It's both terrifying and comforting all at the same time. Maybe just for me. 
when he, when he says, I want to entrust you with this thing, it's the most terrifying thing in the world and the most comforting thing in the world. Because it always feels too big, but it always comes with the knowing that if he wants to entrust, it with, entrust me with it, it's because he knows he has already given me the ability to care for what he wants to give me. Does that make sense to anybody? Okay. Okay. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his, abil- his own ability, and went on his own journey. Okay, that word for possessions, it's out of his own possessions that he gives these things. It's goods, wealth, or property. Just really quickly, um, a talent was a, a, a form of money, obviously. It was quite a large sum of money. So a talent was 6,000 denarii. A dinar, one denarii was equal to one day's wage. So 6,000 denarii would be obviously 6,000 days wage. So five talents would be 30,000 days wage. So to the one who he gives five talents, he is giving 30,000 days worth of wages to. So the picture is Jesus is not handing over a pocket change to these people to take care of. He is not giving... Uh, he's not given a couple of bucks to these people to take care of while he's gone. Jesus has given us the greatest gift available in the universe in himself through the person of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit empowers us for the gifts, the talents, the anointings, all the things that he's called us to do. And it's not cheap. It is not cheap. It is an expensive, costly thing that he has given us. Verse 16, he says, the one who had received five talents, so he's given the five, the two, and the one. In verse 16, we see what they begin to do with the talents. Verse 16, he says, the one who had received the five talents immediately went and did business with them and earned five more talents. I really like the way the NASB uh, translate this verse. I'm not picking on the King James again, I promise. The new, so <laughs> I purposely didn't put the King James in here because I picked on it two weeks ago. So the New King James says that he went and traded with them the talents. The NIV says he went and put his money to work. And those, those translations are accurate. But I think if you listen to the way the NASB says it, it says he went and did business with them. He did business with them. There's a difference in... Taking what he's given me and, and um, taking what he's given me and leveraging it versus taking what he's given me and, and accompanying myself with that thing and with it doing business. Does that make sense? The NASB says that he did business with them. He didn't, he didn't trade them. He didn't put the money to work. He actually accompanied that thing which he had been entrusted with. And with that thing, he went and did business. With that thing, he went and did business. And earned five more talents. That word for earn is uh, it's both literal and metaphorical. So um, more than half the time that that, that that word is used in the New Testament, it is used not for 
literal purposes. So this is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 9 when, he, when he's talking about, uh, I've made myself a slave to all in order that I may gain more. To the Jews, I became a Jew that I may gain Jews. It's this type of gaining. Yes, it is, it is the gaining. Uh, it could be used as the gaining as in literal gaining, as in the literal multiplication. But in the New Testament, most often in the New Testament, the application of this word is often used for the gaining of souls into the kingdom. The gaining of souls towards Jesus. The gaining of people into the family of Jesus. The picture is, the picture is that what Jesus has given us is not just to multiply so that we have more stuff so that we have more um, materials. Uh, Pastor Matt says it often when he stands up and he takes offering. We don't, we don't want to be in abundance so that we'll have abundance. We want abundance so that we can use it for the furtherance of the kingdom. The picture is, is that what Jesus has given us is meant to be multiplied so that we can gain. Yes, gain, but gain what? Gain folks for Jesus. Gain folks for Jesus. And whether, whether the gift that he's given me, whether the talents that he's given me is to be able to sing or the talents that he's entrusted me with is to raise children or the talents he's entrusted me with is to own a business. Whatever the talents are, the gain in the end should not be more of that. It should actually be to bring people closer to Jesus. Verse 17 it says in the same way the one who had received the same the had received the two talents earned two more what is the same way working with what he gave working with Jesus and what he gave is the only real way to draw people to Jesus it, it's um the the only way the only way to see real impact, real kingdom impact is to take what he's given me and to work alongside that thing to see people touch for the kingdom. That's the only real way to see real impact. Are you okay? Verse 18, but he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Hid his master's money. Okay, remember... Um, Last week, and we talked about it when we recap for, for just a minute. The woman with the leaven, she hid the leaven into the lump. That word for hid, when she hid the leaven into the lump, that word for hid was to conceal into. It was to conceal in and to mingle with. This word for hid is not the same word. It is to conceal from. There is a big difference in concealing in and concealing from. The, the woman with the leaven took the measure of the kingdom that she had been given and she hid it into her sphere of influence. And when she hid her measure of kingdom into her sphere of influence, it began to affect everything around her. And that little bit of leaven that she hid into the lump, it began to affect the whole thing. The, the, the person who was given the one talent which doesn't seem like a whole, a whole lot, except it would be 6,000 days worth of wage. In, in reality, if you were going to buy a little bit of leaven, I'm going to bet it's going to be less than 6,000 days worth of wages. The 6,000 days worth of wages in, 
in that day was worth far more than the little bit of leaven that the, that the one woman had. This person doesn't hide the talents into their, their sphere of influence. They hide it from their sphere of influence. When we take what he has given us and hide it from our sphere of influence, we, we eliminate our ability to influence where we've been given influence. Our connection points, our areas of influence are for a reason. They're for a reason. And we are not called, I know some people love the whole, I hope I don't step on too many toes, but I, love, I know some people love the whole seven mountain theories and we're supposed to rule and reign over the seven mountains and we're supposed to be the chief of the mountains and, and we're supposed to rule and reign in every sphere of society. And, and that's great, except that's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said we're supposed to be leaven that's mixed in. And Jesus said even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. Jesus, before he went to Calvary, put on a towel. And he got a wash basin. And he started washing feet. And he said, you see what I've done for you? Now, in the same way, I want you to take up a towel and do the same thing. Jesus didn't say go out and start fighting the Romans and try to take over the sphere of government and try to take over the sphere of the economy and try to take over the mountain of, of, of I don't know what, I don't even know what the seven mountains are because I don't pay any attention to it. But that's not, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said we're supposed to be leaven mixed in and we're supposed to serve. And when I hide and when I take what I've been given, as, as, when I take my measure of the kingdom and I conceal it from and I hide it from my sphere of influence, I ruin my ability to mix the kingdom in. There's two types of hiding. And we're meant to hide in, not hide from. One is based in fear. I'll show you in a second. One is based in fear. The other is based in faith. You, you don't... Uh, you don't, you don't go to work and mix in a little bit of leaven in fear. You go to work and mix in a little bit of leaven in faith. Because you have faith that even a little bit of leaven can leaven the whole thing. You don't, you don't go into a school as a teacher and, and not stand there with a picket sign that says Jesus hates you and you're going to hell. But mix in a little bit of leaven in fear. You do it in faith because you believe that just a smile and just the presence of the Lord on your life. Just that little bit of leaven. The faith in that little bit of leaven has the ability to leaven the whole lump. Hiding in is based in faith. Hiding from is based in fear. And if we live based in fear, we will take the measure of the kingdom that we've been entrusted with and we will hide it from. And we will hide it from. And that's not the way we've been called to live. We were called to live by hiding in to society. By hiding into Not ruling over. Not reigning over. Now listen, if he puts you in a place of authority, that's because he's trusted you. I'll show you that in a second. That's because he's trusted you. And that, that's different. Even in a place of authority, though, what has the apostle said for years? I am the senior servant of this house. That's what he said for years. Because that's what true leadership and authority in the kingdom looks like. It looks like senior servanthood. Senior servanthood. Okay. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. I can't harp on this enough. It's not his money. It's not his money. It is his master's money. He is holding on to it temporarily. And if he is 
again, we'll talk about this in a second. If he is holding on to it temporarily, eventually he's going to have to give it back. Eventually there's going to be an account settled. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. That's a scary verse. That's a scary verse. The master of those slaves, who do you think Jesus is talking about? Came and settled accounts with them. Jesus is going to come and settle accounts. And he's going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you hide it from or did you hide it in? For those who hid it in, the response is, I'm proud of you. You did well and here's the reward. From those who hide it from and, and, and backed away, it, it is, it is not, a good, not a good answer. The word for settle here is to make a reckoning. It's literally in the Greek to compute. Jesus breaks out the calculator and starts doing the numbers. He starts crunching the numbers at, a, at, at one talent, which is a thousand denarius. This is what the return on my investment should have been for the span of your life. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. And, and here's what messes me up even more. That word for account, it's logos. It's logos, which is word. Do you know why it's logos? One of the definitions for logos is account. Specifically, it is to give reckon or reason for an account. In other words, Jesus says this, not only am I going to break out the calculator, but when I do, you're going to have to explain to me why the numbers are what they are or why they aren't what they should be. Jesus is going to make me explain why I did or did not hide in to society, into my sphere of influence, what I was given. I don't get to say, well, Matt didn't teach well enough. <laughs> or I missed that Sunday and I didn't catch the last part of that series. I don't get that. I don't get to do that. Jesus said, we're going to sit down at a table. Maybe a table. I don't know. Probably something a lot more terrifying than a table. A table would probably be actually comforting. We're going to sit somewhere or stand somewhere, be somewhere, and I'm going to compute what it should be, and then you are going to have to explain. You're going to have to explain. You know how I know you're going to have to explain? Look at verse 20. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master. Notice the master doesn't talk first. It is the one who was entrusted with the possessions who talks first. You kids ever get in trouble? Or your kids ever do something and you tell them to come here and explain what happened. And they are looking for you to give them something. Like they're looking for you to help them out. You know what I'm talking about. They're like, you can tell they're, they are fishing for some help. They are, they are looking for some direction. They are looking for some bait. They are looking for you to give them something. And you just, you just wait. You just wait. I want to know what happened. Tell me what happened. And they have to stand there on their own and explain to you what happened. Or explain to you why that thing, why they did that thing. 
It's a whole lot easier if they come to me and I say, now listen, I think what happened is you did this because of this. Is that right? 99.9% of the time, Sawyer's going to go, that's exactly right. Can I go to my room? 99% of the time. If I make him show up and say, now tell me what happened. And I don't give him a line, and I don't give him a reason, and I don't give him an excuse. It's a lot harder on him to explain. A lot harder on him to explain. Why? Because he's actually got to think about it. He's actually got to relive it momentarily and go through it, right? This is what the servant has to do. The one who had received the five talents came up, brought five more talents, saying, Master. The master doesn't say a word. The master doesn't say Hey, what did you bring me? The master doesn't say, why do you only have ten talents? The master doesn't say, did you bring, did you bring ten, five more talents? The master doesn't say a thing. The master just stands there. And the servant comes up and says, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. Entrusted there messes me up too. See, I have earned five more talents. His master then said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. That word for faithful there, it is not, there are several words for faithful in the New Testament. It is not hope. It is not belief. It is not the expectation of good. All of those are valid definitions of faithful in the New Testament. This word for faithful is trustworthy. It is one who has kept his promise. A person who shows themselves faithful in the transaction of business, the execution of commands, or the discharge of official duties. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful Trustworthy slave, you were trustworthy with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Notice the reward. Notice the reward. Because he was faithful in being, and notice, because he was faithful in a few things, he's given the reward to be over more things. I think. It's easy for us in the kingdom to look at folks who've been doing this for a really long time and say, man, I want what they have. It's easy to point at the folks who've, got, who've reached the point where the Lord has rewarded them. Because the Lord doesn't just reward folks on the other side of glory. He rewards folk, folks in this life too. He rewards faithfulness in this life. It's easy to look at folks who the Lord has rewarded for faithfulness and say, man, I want what they have and forget all the years of service that it took to lead up to that. Ask the apostle sometime about, all, about, about telling uh, Brother Roberts when he thought he was ready to go start his own church. And Brother Roberts said, yeah, I don't, I don't think, can you give me a couple years? And, and how hard it would have been to, how easy it would have been rather to say, you know what, no thanks, I'm going to go do my own thing anyways. But faithfulness in a season when a spiritual father says, will you stay for two years? Faithfulness in a season where a spiritual father is asked, hey, will you stick around and help? Will you stick around and do this? All the years of serving, all the years of youth camps, all the years of preaching sermons, all the years of helping out, all the years of filling in, all those years of faithfulness. And it's easy to look at all of this and say, I want all of that and forget all of those years of that. 
To forget all of those years of that. It is the faithfulness in that that leads to the authority in that. That leads to the authority in that. There's only one way to authority in the kingdom. And it is faithfulness. Only one way to authority in the kingdom. And it is faithfulness. He does not dish out authority to anyone who is not faithful. Why? Because he will not give away greater possessions to people who will spoil them. He will not give away greater possessions to people who will spoil them. And if I spoiled lesser possessions with unfaithfulness, or if I can say untrustworthiness, if I spoiled lesser possessions with untrustworthiness, he is certainly not going to, he's certainly, certainly not going to entrust me with the greater possessions. Certainly not going to entrust me with the greater possessions. That word for charge is to appoint as an administrator to be set over something. I think in the King James it literally says uh, to be set over. Um, The talents, because the, the servant was faithful to be under orders, he's now responsible to be over things. That's how it works in the kingdom. We are under orders and then we are given the authority to be over orders. Does that make sense? Verse 22, also, the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Excuse me. Said, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Notice that it is the same response for the one who had two talents and the one who had five talents. There is no variation in response from the master. It is not the size of the return on the investment that is rewarded. It is the size of the faithfulness that is rewarded. It is the faithfulness that is rewarded. If in his goodness he sees that I only have the ability to carry a measure of his glory that is less than some great superstar in the kingdom. He will not punish me for not being able to carry more of his glory. If I'm faithful to carry what he's given me to carry, then he will reward me the same as someone else who is faithful to carry what he's given them to carry. Does that make sense? My job is to be faithful with what he's given me. And in the faithfulness to what he's given me, he rewards me with more of the like. Does that's, that's the beauty. I get rewarded with more of the same. If I'm faithful to carry his presence well, I'm rewarded with more of his presence. If I'm faithful to steward a, a, a prayer life and a relationship with him, I'm rewarded with more of a relationship with him. The kingdom rewards are more of the same. To the one who has, we'll get to it in a second, to the one who has, more will be given. More what? More of the same. He didn't give the, the one at the end of the story he, to the one who has the ten talents. He takes away from the one and gives to the one with ten. What does he give? More talents. More of the same. More of the same. If I'm faithful to carry what he's given me, he'll reward me with more of the same. Well done, good and faithful slave. You're faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. I put Matthew 19.30 in here 
many who are first will be last and the last will be first. I think we're going to be surprised one of these days at who's first in line over there. I'll move on, but I, I do. I think we're going to be surprised one of these days. I think the faithfulness of many in private will be rewarded greatly in the kingdom. That's not to say that the faithfulness of many in public will not be rewarded. But I think there are many in private who are faithful, who never receive applause on this side of glory, who will receive great standing ovations in the kingdom, who are good friends with Jesus, who he's going to make sure that for all of eternity people know this person did what I called him to do. And maybe what I called him to do was pray in secret and never be known publicly. Verse 24, now the one who had received the one talent also came up, not a great situation, and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. Remember what, uh, let me back up for just a second. There it is, verse 18. He who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. The first thing he did out of fear is started to back away. And then he dug a hole and hid the money from, right? What was the result of backing away? Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. Does that sound like Jesus? No, it doesn't sound like Jesus at all. Backing away caused him to not even understand who Jesus was anymore. This is someone who the Lord has entrusted with his possessions. But because he's backed away, because he's in fear, backed away and hidden from, he's removed himself away from the Lord. Now he doesn't even have a proper perspective of the Lord. Remember when Israel was called to come to the mountain of God? Moses said, the Lord wants you to come to the mountain. He wants to talk to all of you. He wants all of you to be priests. And they said, yeah, no thanks. That terrifies us. Why don't you go up on the mountain and you talk to God for us. And then you can come down and tell us what he says. And Moses says, fine, I'll do that. Moses goes up on the mountain. While Moses is up on the mountain, they said, hey, Aaron, why don't you make a calf for us? Because we don't know where that crazy guy Moses has went. They make the calf. And after they make the calf, Aaron goes, behold, Israel. The God who brought you out of Egypt. And he calls the calf Yahweh. Why does he call the calf Yahweh? They knew that the calf didn't bring them out of Israel. Why does he call the calf Yahweh? Because they had so separated themselves from God. That they had no idea what he looked like anymore. They had no idea what he looked like anymore. They were called to come to the mountain. And they said, no thanks, we'll back away. And in backing away, they said, ah, it won't hurt. Moses can still communicate for us. But what they didn't realize is in backing away, they lost the picture of what God actually looked like. And they got so messed up that they said, this golden calf is what Yahweh looks like. And God said, go down there and I'm going to set them all on fire. Moses said, wait a second. Hang on a second. These are your people. Calm down for just a second. But it was the backing away that allowed Israel to say, this golden calf is Yahweh. Aaron, the high priest, who was called to go into the holy place and stand before the living God, said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Which, by the way, had happened like a week and a half prior. It hadn't happened a year and a half prior. It had happened like a week and a half prior. He said, this is your God, this golden calf. And it was because they had removed themselves and they forgot what he looked like. 
Because if you distance yourself long enough, you'll convince yourself that anything is God. And that's the Lord there. If you distance yourself, you'll convince yourself that anything's God. Your wife will be God. Your husband will be God. Your job will be God. Your money will be God. Your kids will be God. If you distance yourself long enough, if you forget to get close to the mountain long enough, and we have not come to Mount Sinai where there is thunder and smoke and we cannot approach, we have come to Mount Zion, the holy hill. Hebrews 13, 12, 13. We have come to Mount Zion. We have come to Mount Zion. But if we distance ourselves long enough, we'll forget what he looks like. So the servant with the one talent removes himself and forgets what God looks like. Forgets what his master even looks like. And he says, you're a hard man. You are a hard, judgmental man. And I knew that you were going to be angry with me. And the master says, you have no idea who I am. You have no idea who I am. Verse 27. Oh, wait. I skipped one. Sorry. Verse 25, and I was afraid, so I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you still have what is yours. When you act out of fear and not out of faith, you will run away from the things of God instead of into the things of God. Verse 26, but his master answered him and said, you worthless, lazy slave, that is quite a different response than enter into the joy of your master. You worthless that word for worthless could be uh, translated uh, evil. Lazy slave. Did you know that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter seed? The master says, oh, you think all this about me? Verse 27. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Literally interest in the Greek is the act of multiplying money. In other words, Jesus will not just receive back what he gave you. He refuses to just receive back what he gave you. It better come back with interest. It better come back multiplied. It better come back bigger than what he gave it to you. That's scary. But he's the one who does it. The only way... For the things that he has given me to multiply in my life is for me to allow him to do the multiplication. That's why he has set this thing up the way he has set it up. He gives me talents and says, you better bring me multiplication. And then he says, the only way to get the multiplication is to live a life in fellowship with me. The only way to get the multiplication is to live a life in fellowship with me. Outside of him, there is no possible way for multiplication. So if I want to present to him multiplication, I've got to live a life in and with and through Jesus. And if I do that, I am promised multiplication. I'm almost done. I promise. Verse 28. Therefore, take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Man, in the kingdom, I heard somebody say this, and I don't remember who said it. It might have been Michael Koulianos, and if I'm quoting that wrong, I guess just give him credit. In the kingdom, God doesn't spread the wealth around. He doesn't spread the wealth around. He gives it to those who he can trust. The picture-perfect idea is everybody gets a little bit of everything, and that would be beautiful, except that's not the case. Everybody gets an equal chance. Everybody gets an equal opportunity, but there are people who give him a bigger yes 
There are people who give him a bigger yes. And to those people who give him a bigger yes, he gives more of himself. And that's how he distributes the kingdom. That's why there are some people, just serious for a second, that's why some people carry more anointing. Now, anointing is not completely based on that. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. We know that. There's some people that have been given gifts and it's just the grace and mercy of God. But to those who give him a bigger yes, he gives more of himself. And anointing is not a gift. Anointing is the fragrance of the Holy Spirit. It is anointing ebbs and flows. Gifts and callings are without repentance. Anointing is based on relationship. But to those who say yes, he gives more of himself. He does. Because he wants to make sure that the greater possessions get taken care of with greater care. So he's not going to give those to the people who, who don't take care of the little things that he wants to give them. He's going to give the greater possessions to those who have proven themselves trustworthy. That means I've got to prove myself trustworthy in whatever small measure he's trusted me with now. And throw the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's not great. Maybe we shouldn't end on that verse. Let me read another one again. I don't want you to end on that one. You'll be all sad when you leave here. Take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Even what he has will be taken away. That's how the kingdom works. That's how the kingdom works. If he can trust you, he'll give you more. If he can trust you, he'll give you more. If he can't trust you, he'll work on you till he can trust you. That's how the kingdom works. I, uh, <laughs> I feel like I've quoted Michael Koulianos a lot tonight, but uh, he was pursuing the Lord years and years ago, and he asked the Lord, he said, why? Why, why won't you touch me? I don't understand why you won't touch me. And uh, he said, I've been asking, I've been praying, I've been fasting, I've been doing all these things. He said, why won't you touch me? And the Lord said, you're not ready for it yet. The Lord said, Lord said you'd ruin it. You're not ready for it yet. And he said, that's a good answer. Okay. And he said it gave him peace. It actually gave him peace. Catherine Kuhlman. You know who Catherine Kuhlman is? Catherine Kuhlman, when she was late in life, her ministry broke out when she was late in life. I promise I'm rapping. She was late in life when her ministry broke out. And she remembers, she told a story. She was standing on a stage and people were flying out of their seats and growths were falling off of people and cancers were disappearing and miracles were happening everywhere. And she thought in the moment, she said, Lord, why didn't you do this when I was 20? And I could have had 50 years of ministry. And the Lord said, you couldn't have handled it. You'd have blew it. You'd have blown it. You'd have messed it up. You'd have messed it up. If he can trust you with it, he'll give it to you. If he can trust you with it, he'll give it to you. And if he can't trust you with it yet, he'll work on you till he can trust you. So that's, so that's, our, uh, that's our mission, is to live a life being faithful with what he has given us now and continually asking for more grace to be faithful with what he wants to give us. Because there's more that he wants to give us. I just don't know... I don't know what he wants to give us. So I've got to be as faithful as I can now in what he has given me so that I'm ready for when he gives me the thing that he wants to give me. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you.
for your goodness. Jesus, we thank you that you entrust us with your great possessions. You've entrusted us with the greatest gift you could ever give us, your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you use us, mere people, to accomplish your mission here on the earth. We thank you, Lord, that the kingdom doesn't expect us to carry massive weights on our shoulders when we're just babies in the kingdom, but you, you start us out small, Lord. You give us small responsibilities and you teach us to be responsible. Lord, I thank you that you, you grow us in responsibility. You grow us in learning to care for the things that you've given us. And Lord, I just pray for a grace for this people. I thank you for the gifts and the talents and the anointings and the callings in this room. And Lord, I thank you even for those things that you want to distribute in this room. Those things that you've promised to people. Those things that you've declared over people. Those things that you have even assigned to people, Lord, in their books and in their future days. I thank you for those things, Lord. And I thank you that they are stored up waiting for a moment when their faithfulness reaches a level when they can carry it faithfully and trustworthy. And Lord, I ask that you would bring us into a place where we can be faithful stewards of what you want to give us. Teach us, Lord, to carry with faithfulness what we have now so that we can be prepared to carry what you want to give us. Show us, Lord, if there's anywhere where we're being unfaithful in what you've given us to carry. If there's anywhere, Lord, where we're being untrustworthy. If there's anywhere, Lord, where we're being nonchalant in what you've given us to carry, Lord, reveal it to us. And help us, Lord, to carry what you've given us in a wise way to bring multiplication to you, Jesus, so that you would receive the reward of your suffering. And we bless this people, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.